Hi, welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. The show is designed for you, the marketer or entrepreneur, who may be looking for more effective ways to connect better with audiences through the exciting world of visual storytelling. We will introduce you to inspiring experts from diverse industries that bring fresh perspectives on how to capture attention, build trust, emotional empathy, and last but not least, drive business results. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Shlomi Ron. I'm the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute uh, based here in uh, Miami, Florida. And welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. And today I wanted to talk to uh, a great guest that uh, is actually, since in my previous uh, podcast I was talking about uh, visual stories in the context of uh, the coronavirus, I wanted to kind of take today a, a different angle and really focus on under, underrepresented voices that uh, typically we tend to forget uh, in normal times and especially these days, you know, with the coronavirus is outside raging. And I figured uh, I'd like to cover that angle uh, and bring up uh, a guest that's actually driving this uh, on the forefront. So I'm very excited to have Chris Colbert he is the founder and CEO of the BCP Entertainment. And a little bit about Chris, uh, he has a passion for connecting audiences with innovative and inspiring content. Chris uh, Colbert founded DCP Entertainment, uh, giving platform for people of color, women, and LGBTQ communities, as well as highlighting stories around mental health, disability, and overcoming diversity. Uh, DCP present stories that we can all relate through audio and visual storytelling. So since we are all about visual storytelling, he's going to be the perfect guest uh, to cover that angle. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, having me to talk about this topic. Excellent. Uh, So before we get started uh, deep about how uh, stories of underrepresented voices uh, drive social impact, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your backstory, your backstory, how you got started and... Yeah, so um, how I got started actually even begins just kind of as me as, as a you know, young child growing mm-hmm. up in the suburbs of Maryland, um, suburbs of Baltimore City um, in a county called Hartford County in a town called Bel Air, Maryland, which unfortunately you may have seen in uh, the Netflix show uh, Dope because unfortunately the opioid epidemic has really hit hard there. Right. Um, but when I was there, it was very much a quiet suburb, um, predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Um, even especially when I went to a private high school where I was one of, say, about five, um, actually maybe even less, black students within yep. my 200-person graduating class. Uh-huh. And so growing up in that kind of area, but also spending my summers in Baltimore City um, and spending my summers in the black church, I grew up with this dichotomy of, uh, of race and uh, my, you know, my identity um, as my livelihood and so you have this and I know this is a struggle for many people it's this understanding of who are you um, and for me that struggle was based around race predominantly mm-hmm. um, and I bring this all up to say I think all of us are shaped by our traumas growing up whether we realize it or not and one of my major traumas was growing up in an area that unfortunately this area of Maryland um, is very uh, there's a lot of racist components to it. Uh, mm. The town just next to us um, is a town where it's 
openly known that there are KKK rallies. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, and there are, you know, vandalism type things with uh, the N-word being written places or death threats that people would receive. And so, you know, that's kind of the area that I grew up in. Meanwhile, still struggling with who am I because I felt too white for, you know, the black people that I'd hang out with in Baltimore right. City. Yep. But I felt too black for the white people I was hanging out with mm -hmm. in, in Hartford County, Maryland. And so I, I bring this up as well to say that this is really what shaped my career uh, trajectory. And um, as I, do you remember any kind of a particular moment that kind of, uh, like every good story has uh, this inciting uh, incident that kind of almost this like lightning moment that uh, drove you to decide I'm going to pursue this initiative? You know, there's, there's a lot of them. I think it's, it's definitely a culmination of a few different events. I know one that always stands out to me because it almost just feels like watching a TV show. I remember there was this uh, friend of mine, white guy, um, very nice, you know, I've never had any issues around race or anything. I remember playing at his house. This is in like junior year of high school maybe even senior year of high school. So I'm uh -huh. like 16 to 18, somewhere in that range. Yep. And I remember playing with him. He's got like these two adopted uh, Asian uh, sisters mm -hmm. and um, everything was great. And I remember leaving and he ran out to say bye to me as I'm getting in my car. And he goes, man, this was really great. Uh, my parents loved you and they don't even like black people. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> And he said it so matter-of-factly. It wasn't yeah. even just what he said. It was how he said it and how that was wow. just so normal and like a compliment mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, and so you know that's just a minor kind of thing. Because again, there was really racist things in terms of mm. you know. I remember coming home when I was in the fourth grade, and there's a letter in the mail that says "nigger go home," oh. uh, or and, you know, or I don't know if you can say things like that here. So N word yeah. go home. Yeah. Um, and I knew that there was a skinhead that lived behind my house, and so mm. having the fear of oh, was it that skinhead? Do I have to be concerned going out during the day or at night? Um, so yeah, when you add those things up, but yeah, they even have a friend who means well, but those, the, you know, he thought that that was just this amazing thing to tell me, made me realize some of the, and I, I use this term loosely, the ignorance that is there. And I don't, I say I use it loosely because I don't like to villainize people for being ignorant. I right. think some people do choose to be ignorant and there is some, you know, there's, that's problematic, but Yes, exactly. There's something where it's not intentional. And so mm -hmm. I think that's an education piece. And so mm -hmm. in how that shapes who I am now, what I'm doing with this company, um, based upon my own experiences, based upon this lack of education for my own people, but also for the people that surround us, whether mm -hmm. it be white or Asian or, or Latino or what have you, right. to understand each other's experiences from a very um, real and authentic space. And so creating my company, I created this company, DCP Entertainment, as a voice for underrepresented people, one with the mission of giving people like me representation in the kind mm -hmm. of content that we're seeing yep. uh, and speaking true to the kind of experiences that we have and not this, oh, we're perceiving this other community as being X, Y, and Z. No, these are actual human beings living these experiences, talking about their experiences. And then for the outsider to hear directly from those communities and understand as much as they can because you, you truly only know experiences when you live through them but to the extent that we can lay them out in our audio in our video content right. um, I feel like that's kind of my mission is to help to educate people who are going through these struggles and who are adjacent to these struggles and can you know be allies um, within what we're trying to accomplish yeah and I think you know the authenticity that comes out of it is that it's not uh, really uh, communicated through another uh, media outlet that have maybe a different agenda. That's another great benefit uh, for this platform because it's coming directly from the source. 
And that's something that I, when I did research for this show, I saw it in several of your programs. Can you talk a little bit about what visual stories DCP Entertainment is producing these days? Uh, yeah, so the type of stories that we produce, I like to, um, I put them underneath these umbre this umbrella that you had mentioned a second ago of underrepresented communities and underrepresented conversations. Mm -hmm. So communities are, you know, kind of more in your face of people of color. And I mean, beyond just black people, especially Latino, um, especially now going through coronavirus, we're looking at the Asian, you know, folks who are being villainized and, and aren't, aren't oh, wow. being able to fully control no, their so narrative. <laughs> Yeah, oh, extremely. Um, I think, you know, also women, LGBTQ plus communities, as you mentioned, people mm -hmm. with disability, I think we forget sometimes that people who are disabled are our largest minority community or mm -hmm. our largest underserved community in the world. Right. Um, and actually, that's something I had to kind of learn as well as I mm -hmm. as we produced one of our programs that I'll touch on in, in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also then underrepresented conversations, which I um, like to think of as conversations on mental health, um, conversations on overcoming adversity. Mm -hmm. um, and so all those fall underneath the umbrella of what I see the current media landscape not hitting on or not being given the proper resources to. So it's one thing to have a company uh, give a show to a woman, but it's a completely another thing just knowing it from the inside out uh, in terms of being behind the scenes. It's another thing that bring that show on and give it the same level of talent booking, give it the mm -hmm. same level of marketing and press that you would any other cis white male gendered uh, hosted show. Um, because what I've seen is when those resources are not given, then the executives say, well, look at this woman led show and look at this male uh, hosted show. And look, I told you the woman hosted show wasn't going to work. Right. Um, but really you just never gave it the proper resources to see if it could succeed. So that's kind of where we come in as a company, mm -hmm. uh, specifically with our exact content. Um, most of our content at the moment falls underneath the umbrella of, of uh, black people of color, given the fact that that is my own personal experience and it's yep. the one that I can help tell from a very real place. And I have the connections that allow me to bring in the speakers who can speak even better than I can about those kind of things. Um, right. So people like Torre, Danielle Moody, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Thompson, people who are regulars on MSNBC talking to these kind of issues. Um, but then, yeah, but then we also have uh, things outside that box, mm -hmm. um, like uh, Paralympian Lacey Henderson. Um, she was training for the 2020 Paralympic Games, which is now the 2021 Paralympic Games. Um, but she's a host that we partnered with uh, on the show Pick Last and Gym Class, where she's able to not only speak about her you know, disability and overcoming this adversity, but it also is a great show of representation of having a video series where sometimes you might not even notice that mm. she actually has an, an amputated leg um, because her prosthetics, pros prosthetic looks so good that you know, sometimes you just get lost in the fact that she's just a great interviewer and just doing a yeah. great interview-based show. And I think it's important to have that representation for other people who are disabled to see, oh, wow, I can be an interviewer or I can be X, Y, and Z and not necessarily have to say, hey, look at me, I'm disabled. You know, it really can just be based on your talent. No, um, I so agree with that because when you watch TV these days in the mainstream media, you, you definitely don't see people that look like you for most people, right? So it's yeah. kind of always slanted towards uh, one specific uh, population segment. So it, it's it definitely, you know, what you do, you know, kind of representing the, the marginalized voices is really important. Uh, one of the things that uh, I always ask my guests, and I'm kind of curious uh, with your question, with your answer is, 
uh, how would you define visual storytelling? Because, uh, and I tell you why I'm asking this, because when I started uh, the Visual Storytelling Institute, the term was primarily uh, referred to uh, as graphic design, photography, or filmmaking. What I'm trying to do is bring it into the context of marketing. So I'm kind of curious, how do you, what do you see, uh, how do you define visual storytelling from your perspective? Yeah, I see visual storytelling as using images and let's be honest, we're not, you know, talking about the silent film era, so audio right. as well. Uh, using images and audio to connect with an audience uh, and connect with them on an emotional level. I think that's great visual storytelling or even audio storytelling. I think yep. it's when you're able to connect with your intended audience on an emotional level and take them on the journey with you or take them on the journey that you want them to go along, especially if you're talking about from a marketing perspective, a journey that's going to then lead them to your product. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's the emotional piece is what I really like to, to hone in on. If you're able to convey emotion, mm -hmm. um, that's how we start to affect people's habits. That's how we start to, to really make them feel like uh, their needs are being reflected in your content and speaking about emotion because I'm, I'm a really great fan about focusing on emotions do you do any kind of a pre-research uh, for your shows with the audience in terms of kind of understanding you know what are their pain points what emotions they carry in order to kind of reflect them back in your visual stories yeah, so not in a formalized method yet. It's something that I do want to do. It's actually why we're building up our email subscription list. Um, yep. So we have that resource to be able to reach out to people and say, hey, what are, are your lived experiences? What are you having anxieties about? Mm -hmm. But in an informal way, that is what we do or what I do and, and I encourage our producers to do when they work on these projects is, you know, I get most of my ideas and what I, you know, want to bring into the company uh based on my own personal experiences, but then also I compare them on the other lived experiences of those around me. So I'm one of those people where if you run into me at the bar, mm -hmm. I'm probably going to talk to you. Like, we're going to be best friends by the end of that day, even though right. we just met. And so like, I have these deep conversations with strangers on a regular mm -hmm. basis, whether it be playing sports, out at the restaurant, out at the bar, out at the park. And so by having these conversations, you don't necessarily have to ask them, hey, you know, what do you want out of a podcast or what do you want out of your video series? No, you just talk about life and you find out what comes up organically. Uh, what are the anxious the things that they sound anxious about? And so, okay, maybe this is a place that we can educate or, um, you know, help to provide resources for something that people are going through. If, um, you know, people are bringing up uh, that so many people in their family have uh, schizophrenia or, or, or depression or something like that, and I hear this on a regular basis, oh, wow, this is a bigger issue in America that maybe isn't getting talked about. Mm. We're having these conversations amongst ourselves, but how can we now as a company bring these to the forefront? So I think, you know, we're doing it in an informal way right now, but mm -hmm. down the line, we, we do need to get into a more formal way of doing it because right now it's very, you know, though I travel a lot, it's still very regional, these conversations I'm having. I'm based in the Northeast and we want to be very respective of the fact that there are concerns in the Midwest or in the South or in, on the West Coast that may be different than, you know, these people here in the Northeast uh, corridor. Got it. So that's... Interesting. So when you come up with a new concept for a show, maybe if you can describe maybe the, like the end-to-end -end process, how you typically come up with a concept for the show. And then once the show is up and running, what is the content uh, strategy to come up with new topics for the show? 
Yeah, so we, uh, when we first develop a show, we do challenge our, uh, let me back up a little bit further. When most of the shows that we do um, are usually a partnership between us and a host or us and a brand. So usually that host or brand is coming in with a, an idea of what they want to do. There are a few times where we come up with the idea and we say, hey, you're going to be a great host for this. But I'll speak more to what's kind of normal for us, which is we partner with the host. They tell us what idea they want to do. And we say, all right, map out as you were just kind of saying, what are, you know, topics, what are the topics that we're going to touch on, yeah. uh, you know, list out 20 of them. So we know, okay, we, are, we at least have a base to start from. Once we have all that together, we decide, okay, what are the resources that need to go behind this? How many producers, how much, you know, what's the production time going to be? What's our production mm-hmm. schedule going to be? All those kind of nuts and bolts of talent booking, all that. Once hey, we just, side, side question, yeah. you mentioned brands. Are you referring to like, real like the coca-cola of the world or are you talking the brand as the host as a personal brand uh, a little bit of both so we do have like host type brands people who are you know kind of social influencers but yep. um we do partner with other brands so we did a documentary with mass appeal Nas's entertainment company and uh-huh. audio which is um part of the wme family of you know talent agency and Got so we partnered it. with them on a documentary. So they're a brand, not necessarily like a, a household name like Coca-Cola, right. though we do want to work with those kind of companies as well. And so there are some yeah. other podcasts and video companies that do that. So yeah. yes, we, we definitely partner with both. And I think the mission still is the same. We, we talk to these partners, whether they be a host um, or a brand like a Coca-Cola to say, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Like first, what is, what is success to you? And actually I should have started with that. That is the first question we yeah. ask is what is success for, for some people that is brand awareness yeah. for some it's, I want to drive traffic back to this other part of my business. And for others it's, Hey, I want to make money doing this exact thing. So mm-hmm. I want to make money being a host. So I want to make ad money or licensing revenue. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. So, um, so that, that technically is the, the first step. Got it. Um, but yeah, as we get into the production of the shows, you were kind of asking, you know, how has that evolution uh, happened within the show? Like after all meetings, probably you have with all the team to kind of uh, brainstorm ideas, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And we see, you know, as we do topics, we watch the analytics. We watch to see, okay, mm-hmm. did this episode do better than another episode? Is that because right. of the topic? Was it because of how we marketed it that day? Um, there are some, uh, there's some ability for us to see how long people are watching or how long people are listening for. Mm-hmm. So that can also be an, uh, a representation to us of, oh, wow, this episode was too long or, hey, this topic ran out of gas after a certain point. So right. then that helps us to recalibrate as we move forward to say, all right, these are the type of topics that hit with our audience. Um, here's ones that aren't really working, so we should get away from it. And then that's mm-hmm. how we then kind of pivot and make sure that we're flexible within the kind of topics we're touching on, the kind of guests that we're having on, and also how we're marketing these shows. And speaking about the mar- marketing part, uh, as my audience is comprised of marketers and entrepreneurs, that some of them are actually producing their own content and visual mm-hmm. stories. Uh, can you speak about that? You know, what type of marketing strategy are you using for your podcast and the video shows? Sure, and I'll show you an example here in a second. Um, you know, I think we, we do a few different things. Um, the first, honestly, that is the most effective that we've seen is when we're able to get our, our host 
onto other podcasts like this mm -hmm. um, or onto other um, video series or, or just make sure that they're out there to have a voice to connect to that audience. There's nothing more powerful than to hear the host mm -hmm. speaking on another show and you falling in love with their perspective right. um, or, you know, whatever it is that they're presenting, you know, maybe you fall in love with a topic that they're, you know, talking about on that other show. So that's one of our biggest marketing tools. Mm -hmm. um, the other is obviously producing some kind of trailer for all the, for all this content. Um, for each individual show, you want something that is going to uh, be a three minute or less, you know, uh, minute and a half to say maybe three minutes of, okay, what are you going to get out of this show? What are some of the visual elements, some of the audio mm -hmm. elements? And I'll, I'll play for you here a, um, a little piece of um, the first half of a trailer for the show Pick Last and Gym Class that I had mentioned earlier with the Paralympian Lacey Henderson. And before I pull that up, um, just some things to kind of look out for, and I kind of brought this up before in terms of why I love her show, is that you'll notice in like the first half, you'll get a lot of shots of her in her element as a uh, Paralympian. So that really helps set the tone for who is she? Yep. Uh, why does she have the authority to speak on overcoming adversity? And then it gets into, okay, here's some clips of conversations. And when you also kind of notice these clips is you may not even notice which leg is actually the amputee leg because of. Yep. <laughs> this trailer. Let's see. Let me pull this up for you. I am a Paralympian. I am a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. Uh, I'm single. I'm a Gemini. And I am just a gal trying to figure out this world. I fall down on my face a lot, but um, I like to find lessons in it and I like to laugh a lot. I think the human condition so much is about falling down and failing and struggling before we find that success. So many people can identify with that visceral fear that we all felt as children when we were waiting to get picked for whatever sport we were playing. When I got asked to do this and it was called Pick Last in Gym Class, I was like, that's perfect for me because uh, I always was. I was always one of those kids that I tried like every sport and quit every sport. And yeah, like, I'd be like, Mom, let me do basketball. And then like two weeks later, I quit. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? I'm just playing what I do. No point of being a comedian is like tell me through message so people get the point across and let like, people know that you can be yourself right so you see um yeah. you know that's just a piece of our trailer there but like, we really tried to set the tone early of why is this person able to speak to me about these topics and then you know allowing them to speak a little bit about the fact that okay they're not only do they have this authority but they're just like me you know she's a daughter she's a, yep. a gemini is all these different things that just make her a regular human being. And then, you know, give them a little bit of a taste of, okay, this is what you're going to get out of this show. No, I think um, you did a wonderful job there. I really liked, you know, how you set the, what I call act one, the setting, you know, who is she, this person is and, and kind of establishing her big why, why you should pay attention. And then the transition to some of the interview clips that, uh, as you said, give you some uh, flavor or taste to, you know, what she's doing. And, and through all this, you know, you can really see that she's doing a fantastic uh, work in interviewing people that 
and, and you know that handicap she has it, it's not even you know noticeable or naturally interfering with her you know humanity and authenticity this is great yep no thank you for that mm -hmm. cool yeah so i was thinking uh, since we're right now in under the new normal, as that's the new term for it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm trying to find a new term for it, <laughs> but I feel yeah. like I always come back to the new normal. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of interesting, you know, because when we, you know, this period started uh, early March, you know, it, I found there was kind of evolution even in the term, you know, we started calling it corona, then it was coronavirus, and then it's COVID-19, and now it's the new normal, you know, it's kind of a, an effort to kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, push it away and kind of uh, bring it, you know, add on it uh, new labels. So I'm kind of curious, you know, as a visual storyteller yourself, uh, how are you kind of uh, reprogramming your content these days to kind of address the challenges of these uh, underrepresented voices that you're so much uh, focusing on? Yeah, in a few different ways, because we did get hit and actually kind of hit in a good way. We were about to purchase a studio right before all this happened. And so mm -hmm. we were going to actually have an in-house space for all of our New York-based content, yep. um, which was going to allow us to have uh, consistent video, because we do have some projects that are just currently podcasts, and we want to make those podcasts and video uh, podcasts, much like you have here. And so um, that put a little bit of a hindrance there, but what we did to combat that was all right, well, we can't be in the same room together, but we have things just like this where we yeah. can use Zoom to connect our, our host. And I think that's where we've really found a way to, to tell even more authentic stories now, or at least present them in more authentic ways, because yeah. now our guests are literally in their own home. Yeah. Uh, and, you, exactly. and, and it really does break down that barrier even more so than in the past of they're just like me. They're struggling just like me. They're both in their basement just like me they have their kids screaming in the background during their meeting just like me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly um and i think you know in from a topic standpoint we've shifted some of our shows where i'll use the instance of a show pm mood so pm mood is a uh a, one of our podcast series that we're switching over into video um that was kind of affected by this but they're uh, t topics and guests are usually based around having on somebody who is a change maker or an entertainer, somebody who's using their voice uh, through using their voice as an authority, as an influencer, as a celebrity to enact some kind of social change, uh, to use it for philanthropy, activism. And so with coronavirus now or COVID-19 or the new normal, uh, <laughs> yeah. we now have, we've now shifted those conversations and those guests into being more people who are able to give perspectives on how to live life in this mm. new normal. Um, and so we've changed our topics a bit. We've changed our guests a bit and we've changed how we present the show. Um, and I can show you an example of this here um, from the show PM Mood. Um, this actually was recorded um, just recently, and it was our host's first time using Zoom. So her, oh, uh, techno her technological uh, prowess is not the best. Yeah. Uh, our guest, Donnell Rawlings, a comedian, uh, mm -hmm. he put up one of these virtual backgrounds, and he started fading in and out of it. So visually, <laughs> if not, it's not as stunning as what you just saw with Pick Last and Gym Class, where we have all these 4K cameras. Right. But I think the authenticity of what comes through is great and if you listen in you can actually hear his kid yelling in the background uh and there's, a, there's another point that i don't have in this video where his kid actually pops into the video at one oh, point oh, I see. Wow. um I love it. so yeah let me let me pull this up for you here 
But the, the part of why I selected this clip, you'll kind of hear them talk about um, coronavirus and this new normal, especially from the perspective of a stand-up comedian. When things like this happen, you know, some people come out winning in a situation like yes. this. Yep. Some people say, okay, I figured it out. You know, some people like, I know I've been a good stand-up comic for for most part of my career. So I didn't have to force myself to be a good entrepreneur. Anybody say they're an entrepreneur. You get your first business card. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a CEO of nothing. You know what I'm saying? But now, okay, so you've seen my you've seen my older business cards. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember when I got my first business card. I put vice president, share owner. I put all time, and I couldn't wait to get on them goddamn going um business card. Yeah. But now it's like, and I've always had a entrepreneur spirit, mm -hmm. but never was forced to exercise it like with the sense of urgency that I have right now. And it's not desperate, it's like this, yo, you could do this, but you haven't been doing it because you've been lucky enough to have a full calendar. Like, right. I've had a full calendar, so. So there you can see just a, a clip yeah. of, you know, it's nothing visually stunning, but it just, it helps you feel like, wow, I see Donald Rawlings on The Chappelle Show. I've seen him on stand-up comedy specials. I see Daniel Moody Mills on MSNBC. And it's like, I see yeah. them looking just like I do right exactly. now, actually. I, you know, I, without the hair and makeup and all that. And so it just cuts through to some of these entertainers that Absolutely. you may already love. Um, in yeah. a way that you couldn't have done if you were in studio. Yeah, and you see it also in the in the mainstream media. You know, Trevor Noah. You know, just you know, doing his show at his home, and it's kind of interesting. You know, you kind of peeking into his uh, bookshelf where he's he's reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really intrusive, and I think you know this. As you said, it's a great opportunity for for you to maybe not intentionally, but at least throw it to your host if there's a, a way they can stage their background in a way that uh, could trigger a conversation uh, yeah wondering what is uh, this uh, little object behind me so this is the backstory so it's another because every object you see this has some subjective meaning or backstories behind it and if you can use that this, as a prop which is organically coming from your uh, natural habitat so to speak then it's adding to the richness of your visual story. Hey, now I, I, I really get this guy because I had the same object in my room or whatever it is. So, <laughs> yep. so that's absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that related to uh, this new normal, uh, do you, what do you see like when you work with brands? Uh, do you have any kind of uh, advice you give them of uh, what type of stories they should communicate this, this time? Yeah, I think um, the main advice is is making sure that you're being, I'm trying to choose the right word, but being responsible, I think, and, and responsibility is, is making sure that you have all the knowledge before jumping into a certain topic or trying to reach a certain audience. And I say that because I think that sometimes brands can mean very well, especially yep. if they're bigger brands. They can, mean very, they can be very well-intentioned, but if they are not speaking directly with the community that they're trying to engage, or they don't employ the community that they're trying to engage, they can come across as insensitive 
or even harmful, especially if you're talking around something like mental health and you're giving out, you know, bad advice, right. you can potentially harm people. And so yep. I think to be responsible in how you're educating yourself before you jump into that topic and making sure that you're employing the right kind of people yep. that know how to present those topics to that audience so they don't feel like they're being talked at and they're being mm -hmm. talked with and being given competent uh, information that's easy for them to digest. Yeah, and especially avoid, uh, you know, kind of profit mongering or, you know, product first. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's, it's really going to backfire. So, yeah. One thing I want to talk about also, you know, any great story, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, I mean, any conflict is a good uh, to drive the story forward, right? So I'm kind of curious uh, what type of failures you came across as you we're producing these uh, shows that you kind of learn from. Yeah, I think we, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes, especially, you know, we've only been public facing, we've only been putting out content out there since January, well, actually March of 2019. Mm -hmm. So we're really only a year old. But in that first year, we learned a lot of things. And one of the mistakes that we made was one that was based out of our excitement. Uh, Pick Last and Gym Class, the show I, I showed you earlier with Lacey Henderson, we had signed that deal um, probably about a month before uh, mm -hmm. South by Southwest. Yep. And she was at the time training in Austin. And so we're like, okay, hey, we're going to have a wealth of celebrities that are coming through the Austin area. We can't miss this opportunity to get all these great potential guests. And we did. We got a lot of great mm -hmm. guests out of South by Southwest. But the problem is that we didn't give enough time for real pre-production. Right. So, you know, we had all these great intentions of things that we wanted to do from uh, not only the topics that we wanted to cover, but also how we wanted to shoot the content. Like we had this idea of having Lacey and the guests do some kind of physical activity together oh, um, just to add a, a fun little element to it, yeah. which is something that we may still do in future seasons. But in this first season, it happened so quickly that by the time, you know, we booked these guests, we found that some of them, because some were also disabled, yep. didn't they had physical limitations to do the kind of activities that we were thinking about. And oh, so we had to basically scrap that entire idea. Um, and so like there was a major element that was going to help us from a visual perspective that we no longer had. And even just from a preparation standpoint, in terms of trying mm. to gather all the research, giving our host enough time to be able to prep, um, she did an amazing job as a, as a host, and you could never tell when you watch these, these shows. But I think we could have done a better job preparing her. Um, and also a better job creating better visual elements, all because we rushed into the project because we wanted to get these big names that could you know, add a PR element to what we were doing. Um, and so we, we picked the trade-off that I think we probably shouldn't have in, in hindsight. And so mm -hmm. I think we're going to be better in future seasons, but the lesson that we definitely learned out of that is you really have to weigh the, the risk-reward uh, risk benefit uh, risk-reward analysis of uh, rushing into a season. Usually, rushing yeah. into a season is gonna gonna get you. Uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna get you. Uh, I'm not trying to think of the right word, but not as good results as you would have intended to. Yeah, because you need to have the proper timeline to actually develop uh, each step of the production process. Absolutely, and. And on top of that, uh, one other thing I forgot to mention, too, is that we picked locations, you know, kind of last minute because we just had to grab what was ever available, right. especially during a, a major yeah. event like South by Southwest yeah. where everything's booked up months in advance. So we ended up in locations that weren't the best sound quality type locations or 
Um, I think one space we had, we uh, booked it in an art gallery and uh, mm -hmm. we don't have license for that art material. So we can't show that, that video content because we don't have rights to the, you know, the nice images that we have in the background. Luckily I shot this, so I have all rights oh, to I that. See. But. <laughs> <laughs> it looks gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So now that you've been producing, uh, you know, several uh, great shows for a couple of years now, any kind of a... Uh, proudest emotional moment that stand out? Yeah, I think one of my proudest is one of the first shows that we ever started production on, mm -hmm. uh, a show called Inner Space. Uh -huh. um, it's all about mental and emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned at the beginning of all this, you know, I grew up with a lot of different kinds of trauma, as many of us have, and I think all of us have been affected, whether it be personally or a loved one that's around us, by some kind of mental health um, situation, whether it be very acute, like a schizophrenia or um, a bipolar disorder, or whether it be something like uh, anxiety or depression. And mm -hmm. so, you know, going into that show, it was very emotional, just even kind of trying to touch on those topics. But I think from an internal standpoint, you know, we had a couple trips uh, around the country where we shot in LA or New York, and we even went outside the country to uh, mm -hmm. London for a few days. And uh -huh. we had our team out there. And when you're covering this kind of topic day in, day out, it helps to reveal things internally to our own team of mm. things that we need to take care of yep. um, personally and even as a company, how we treat our employees and how we constitute sick days now around right. not only physical ailments, but also mental and emotional ailments. Um, so I think that show was very instrumental for us, not only as, as a show, but also as a company, as an individuals. Mm -hmm. And, I was, we did that as both a video and uh, audio, uh, audio podcast series where we touched on each episode was on a different element of mental health. So mental yeah. health in the entertainment industry or in the fashion mm. industry, uh, an episode all around, um, you know, PTSD and trauma, yeah. uh, how this affects our veterans. And so every episode really had a specific focus. And one of the more popular episodes was one uh, where we had Wayne Brady on as a guest and i just literally i think it was a couple days ago got this message um when someone left the comment and like it really made me smile just for me to read it real quick it says i've just learned i'm not alone with depression no matter what walk of life rich and famous or regular non-famous person i think you know that's exactly what we were trying to go for. Yeah. We had a mix of celebrities. We had a mix of everyday people, business people. Mm -hmm. And we want to showcase that no one is any different than anybody else. These major yep. celebrities are going through these same, same situations. Yep. And, and just like we were talking about with representation for people yep. with disabilities, I think from a mental health standpoint, that's just as important, if not more important, that we all can feel like I'm not the only one. And so it may encourage you when you see a celebrity talking openly about it. Now you are more inclined to talk openly about it. Uh, and hopefully also find care for yourself or also recognize it in other people that you can then try to help find them care. So that's one where I, I continually, yep. you know, from week to week, see these messages and it makes me smile that we accomplished what we wanted to. Yeah, I, I love this example because, you know, that's why I keep saying that, you know, a great visual story that engage people is nothing but a, a mirroring, mirroring exercise. The ability for your audience to see themselves in your story that's happened to me, you know, I can relate to this. That's where the magic happens. And no, this is exciting to see that uh, you're coming across that uh, from your shows. So now that we reach uh, kind of the final uh, segment of our show, uh, can you just say, give us uh, your kind of top three tips of what would you recommend people when they think about uh, creating compelling visual stories? Yeah, I think, um 
there's a lot of different things that go into it, but I'd say my top three would be mm-hmm. um, figure out your niche. Um, I think especially when it comes to digital content, that is where the industry is pushed towards. And I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah, figure out not only who is the audience you want to speak to, but probably before you even do that, figure out who you are. What is your voice? What are your perspectives? What do you bring to the table that nobody else brings? Yes. What is your passion? I think Mm -hmm. audience can Audiences can definitely feel that, especially in this digital platform where people are picking and choosing what they're watching. They're not just turning on TV and watching NBC for the next three hours. So I think you have to specifically know what your voice is and who it is you're Mm -hmm. trying to reach. Um, Sorry, I just need to uh, pull this up because I I made a note to myself here because there was something I didn't want to forget. Oh, that's why I didn't want to forget. I think the other is um, less is more. I think you know, people look at, and I'll use the podcast industry as a, as a instance here. People look at Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan who do these podcasts that are like two hours long mm-hmm. and they're super successful. They do millions and millions of downloads. Yep. And I think they get caught up in, Oh wow, I can host a two hour show. Yep. Usually two hours is way too long. One, people don't have that kind of time to sit and just <laughs> exactly. listen to something for, for that period of time or yep. watch for that period of time. Yep. But also usually you're regurgitating the same information at a certain point. Um, you're wearing your audience out. You're, you know, we always like to talk in the industry as, you know, leave them wanting more. And I think that's really important. You know, try to figure out how to get your message across as quickly as possible um, in obviously an understandable way. Um, And then, you know, leave the audience pandering you to, you know, hey, you should do another hour. Hey, I need more. You want your audience asking you for more as opposed to them saying, man, that show was too long or you need to cut this down a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I love it. Yeah, and speaking about uh, the audience want more. So if there are audience that uh, are currently listening or watching this uh, episode, they want to contact you with questions, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, I'll give it one second. Just the, the last one for uh, what they can do is also we like conversations over um, uh, over interviews. I think mm. the way you present it, you present it in a very conversational way as opposed to, oh, yeah. all right, I'm going to get from this question to this question to this question. No, yeah. follow the flow of the conversation, much Absolutely. like, you know, you do a great job up here. Appreciate um, it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for us, I think uh, if you want to follow us, the, uh, our social media handle is the same across all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We mm-hmm. are at DCP official. Um, so D is in David, C is in Charlie, P is in Paul mm-hmm. official. Um, I personally, uh, am only on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Colbert report. Um, but I'm much less fun to follow than at DCP official. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been a lot of fun. I really learned a lot today and, you know, I'm really looking forward to staying in touch. And for all of you listening or watching, you know, stay tuned to our next episode of Visual Story Time today. And until next time, yeah, I hope everybody stay safe and keep producing the great stories. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.